We work to work, you late to work, I holla and they send it You know my pride was colder than Chicago in December My dog out laying the law, ain't breaking no laws, I'll serve no rock. Beats outside, still fucking in the car, still flipping in the car, still shooting at the car. What's going on, guys? Welcome back to the You Know Ball podcast. I am your host, Trill Bro Dude, and today I am excited to have back onto the podcast to talk about the Sixers offseason from Dime Up Rocks. You probably know him from Liberty Ballers. We got Jackson Frank. What's going on, Jackson? Doing well. Thanks for having me back. It's been uh, it's been quite the eventful what four and a half months in Sixers world since we last uh, last oh, yeah. together on here. Oh yeah, I mean we we've had the rise of a dynasty and the fall of a dynasty <laughs> in season, and now we're now we're back we're back on the slot because it has been a crazy week and a half, two weeks, kind of everything developing with James Harden. And P.J. Tucker and Daniel House, everything that has happened, the D'Anthony Melton trade at the at draft night, kind of everything has led up to this point where we're still getting rumors about what the Sixers could possibly do. My gut says I don't think they're 100% done, but I think all of the big moves have definitely been made. Um, so how do you feel about just like, are the Sixers done? And also on top of that, like, What's going on with the James Harden extension right now? Yeah, I think I think they're probably like among maybe guys you project in the top seven of the rotation. Um, I, I feel like they're probably set there. That's just you know a gut, and I mean you have to look like I know that I know that the Harden thing is going to open up some flexibility maybe with some of their signings and, and whatnot. Uh, but I just those guys usually cost a lot that you know are in the top seven of, of a good team's rotation. I don't think they really have any, you know, even if Harden takes a big discount, I don't see, you know, I don't even have candidates that make sense there, um, especially considering their biggest you know, weakness is at the three, and the league, the league tends to very much enjoy paying those players handsomely. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, with the Harden thing, it, it seems, you know, it, it seems like as free agency got closer and then actually commenced, like the, the AAV for him continues to like go down, it seems like, just like, whether what's being reported or what people are speculating. And it, se- it seems it's like very much in, he and the heart in the organization are in locks about that, right? Like it's, it's not like they're having to like, it doesn't, I mean, this is just speculation for me, but it doesn't seem like they're having to like pitch him so hard on this. He's, it seems as though he's like, yeah, like whatever we can do to make upgrade this roster. If it means, you know, I make 31 million over three years versus 38, like I'll do it, which I think is, you know, I wish I had the ability to, to haggle with <laughs> Just <laughs> turn down seventeen million, you know. Eh, it's yeah, fine. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, um, but that's what it seems like. So I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if they get someone who's maybe a ninth, tenth, eleventh man somewhere here. But sure, it seems like they're they're definitely cooking up something, right? Because like if he was just going to get you know three years, one hundred five or or two seventy or something like that, two plus one, um, then it seems like they'd probably be be done by now. I'm not, you know, I'm not really the, the salary cap guy in in Sixers Twitter. Or, or in NBA Twitter in general, but it seems like that wouldn't necessarily open up anything big for them. Uh, I know, I know Adam Aronson's talked a lot about, or it's pitched a little bit that might be a one plus one. I think he's just speculating there as well. And I think that could be something that maybe takes a little more time to, you know, hammer out the details versus just a straight right. extension. So, um, you know, that, you know, that's a big, you know, that's a big, it's a big caveat, right. For both Harden and the organization, you're going to do one plus one. You'd imagine they're going to be pretty nuanced. Well, I mean, they're nuanced about everything, right? But you imagine it might take even longer with something like that that you know offers some flexibility and, and risk for both sides. So yeah, definitely. Cool. And as Shams actually did mention. I remember when free agency kicked off, we were doing the stream, and they had mentioned like Sham comes on, and he's basically like the Sixers and James Harden are going to work on an extension to give the team flexibility, everything you kind of just talked about, right? Like, you know, access to the MLE, access to the BAE. So we're like, oh my God, he's going to take way less. And then what he said was to enter the uh, market again next offseason. And I'm like, okay. So I'm assuming with Maury and Harden's relationship, he trusts that if he extends, if Maury extends him for that one plus one that Adam brought up, that kind of idea that he's basically going to do kind of what like happened with Chris Paul when he was signed and traded to the Houston Rockets, which is like 
Chris Paul gets signed and traded to the Houston Rockets. He goes there. The Rockets are great. Paul gets hurt in the playoffs, but it doesn't matter anyway. He immediately extends him for what that crazy amount of money that Chris Paul got. Not that Chris Paul doesn't deserve it, but it was just like a lot of money for a guy that at his age coming off that injury. And I do think that that probably is what's happening. We're recording this on Sunday afternoon. I'm going to release it on Monday morning. Hopefully there isn't more stuff that comes out that just kind of ruins this part of it. Cause that's what tends to happen during slop season. You record an hour long podcast and then 20 minutes of it is just like out the window. <laughs> but I would imagine that there would be, like you said, kind of a more minor move, whether it's getting a ninth or 10th man or whether it's turning Seibel and Moss into one guy or whether it is maybe just even doing a salary dump for a guy like Cork Moss, because like, I don't think he's going to be in the rotation next year. Like Thibel, you could talk me into him being in the rotation and being like a viable guy off the bench, hopefully. Uh, but I feel like with Cork Moss, like the guys that they brought in just kind of focusing more on like that two way player element of everything. And like guys who have viability on both ends of the, both sides of the court, like it does seem like if they could move off Cork Moss, now he has this year and next year. So it might be a little bit tricky then they probably would just salary dump him to save money on the tax because right now, you know, they paid PJ Tucker 11 million. They're going to, they're paying Daniel house like 4 million. So that's like $15 million of new guys being brought in. So long story short here, I don't think there's going to be any sort of massive moves. Like the next thing we'll talk about, but I do think that like, I could see, for example, Kyrie Irving. I, I don't see a Kyrie Irving trade happening. Like I just, I look at it like between the history between Harden and Kyrie, which literally just happened a few months ago. I feel like everyone forgets about this. Like it just happened between that. The fact that Kyrie wants to go to the Lakers. And then on top of that, the fact that like you're looking at a situation where Tyrese Maxey is your third best player right now. And then you're relegating him to the bench. And once again, Kyrie Irving's amazing talent. But I, I would be really shocked if though that report that came out from Shams last night regarding this wasn't just leverage from the Nets side to try to get more out of the Lakers in a potential trade. So uh, once again, I could see one of those smaller moves. I could see a salary dump, but I would be really, really surprised if, if they made a, a massive swing like trading for Kyrie Irving. But then again, I guess you never know with Daryl Morey, right? <laughs> yeah, and I also want like, I just like, I don't know what the Sixers can necessarily like are going to offer that's that enticing compared to even like the Nets or the Lakers, right? That like, you know, obviously Kavias is a better player than Russ, I'm not saying otherwise right now, but like, of course, there's more, there's more appeal to the, the, the expiring deal, right? Whereas Tobias yep. is two years left. You're not trading Maxi for, for an expiring deal in Kyrie. Like you're just like, I, like Taylor Horton Tucker has not been particularly good yet. And I'm not, not a young guy that I'm very optimistic about, but I could see, the Nets being interested in that over a Springer or an Isaiah Joe or things like sure. that. So it just seems, just doesn't seem plausible to me. Uh, I will say though, I like, I like the concept of just, you just say, screw the wings and you go, you just go Harden, Maxi, Kyrie and Melton around, around. <laughs> and, and you're a, uh, uh, sorry, MB, not not Isaiah Joe. But I do like that. Yeah, idea. well, I mean, the, I had a tweet from last summer, I think it was, yeah. where I said the Embiid in 14 guards, and that that tweet <laughs> yeah, might yeah. might actually be happening. It, try, it is. Yeah. It's the market inefficiency. Everyone <laughs> is obsessed with wings, so we're gonna have like a top two center, and then also literally all the best guards that we could stack on top of each other. Oh, and our one wing, he's he can't dribble, and he also isn't vaccinated. So he can't <laughs> so well, he's gonna be he's gonna be in Brooklyn. Don't worry about him. <laughs> <That's true. laughs> uh, yeah, I, I agree. I don't see the feasibility of a Kyrie deal. Um, and I think I think Dave Early, my colleague at Liberty Ballers, like like quote like took out a, a an excerpt of like maybe the Sixers reported interest, and it described Kyrie and Harden as acquaintances. And I was like, I don't know if that's the most like reassuring phrase, like. <laughs> Like, I, I don't call people that I'm particularly like. Fond, like I feel neutral about people that I tend to tend to be my acquaintances. So I was like, I don't know if this this I don't know if this article is doing what you think it's doing. Not that Dave didn't write it, but whoever did it was like kind of an odd term there. You'd usually call them friends if you're trying to pitch pitch the yeah, idea. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and especially because Kyrie called him his brother after everything. Like even when they had the falling out, he's like, "There's no bad blood. He's still my brother." And then it's like they're acquaintances. Like they're fine. Like they don't hate each other. And it's like. 
like also, I'm I actually don't know, I don't know if Kyra's the one that gets to to determine what their relationship is like, right? Like like he plays a role in it, but it's funny. It's like it seems like based on reports, like your inability to play was a big reason that like Harden didn't want to be there anymore. I don't know if you're the one that should be like determining where you got to stand after that entire thing. Yeah, exactly. From my point of view, it's totally fine. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, it's like you get broken up with and you're like, yeah, we're still on great terms. (laughs) I don't know if that's how it works, Kyrie. (laughs) But it's actually funny. I'm going on, uh, me and Dave are going on a podcast after this. I'm going on to Dave's podcast and we're going to kind of hash that out a little bit longer. But I, I, and this is the kind of point that I will make on like on the whole when it comes to the Kyrie idea. I actually think the best pitch that I've heard for trading for Kyrie was the fact that you would just get off the Tobias Harris contract a year early, which is basically like if you trade for Kyrie, you're not including Maxi in the deal. Like that's just like off the table. Like yeah. obviously you're never going to do that. You didn't include him for James Harden. You're not going to include him for Kyrie Irving. So the argument was, Basically, the first year of the Kyrie experience is always like the honeymoon phase, right? Like in Boston and with the Nets, like everything was great. And then, you know, some things happened. He got injured both years, those years. But it didn't seem like the falling out with both of those teams really came until the second year, right? Well, I guess third year year in the Nets. Sure, sure. Yeah, I forgot he sat. Yeah, because Kevin Durant set out the first year. So I don't really – I don't even really put that one on Kyrie as much. Like, you know, he was injured. He didn't go to the bubble. Like, it's it's whatever. But my thing was, like, I think that – and, like, everyone says, like, winning solves everything, right? Like, that's, like, the big thing. It's like, well, if Kyrie came here and, and, like, you got past that second-round hump, and you got to the Eastern Conference Finals, or you got to the Finals, or you won the Finals, like, well, obviously, if you won the Finals, it would be worth it. But, like, let's say you get get to the Finals, or you get to the Eastern Conference Finals. Like, I do think that that would help for convincing Joel Embiid to, like, stay with the Sixers. Like, that would be, like, the biggest argument for it, right? But my whole thing with Kyrie is, like, winning doesn't determine everything with him because like he was on the Cavaliers with LeBron James and was like peace I'm out (laughs) the Celtics made it to the conference finals and then had a pretty good team the next year everything fell apart you know the Nets were championship favorites basically back-to-back seasons and everything fell apart like there isn't any when we talk about like the off the court like human emotional stuff that isn't like completely just on the court talent stuff there's just so many red flags and question marks with Kyrie that like, I just wouldn't want to be the team. That's just like, yeah, we'll take a chance. Even though like, obviously on the court, he's a massive upgrade over Tobias Harris. Yeah. And I think like what, especially with Kyrie, the the whole winning idea, like he's won, right? Like it's not, it's not like, it's not in in the, it's not the state. Harden's not, they're not comparing Harden to Kyrie's personality, but it's not the same as like, we're Harden. Like he really wants to win. Like he wants to get to that mountaintop. Kyrie got there with like arguably the greatest player ever. And like, so it's not, he's not, he's not waiting to taste, you know, or savor the glory of a title. Like he's, he's got, he's had that. And he's such a unique personality. So I tend to agree there. I, I think, you know, the, the part that maybe would work in favor of the kind of pitching this idea would be like, it's a one, like it's a one year thing. Right. And, and like, cause he, he's, he, he's a free agent next year. And so if it doesn't work. Then you two, the two sides walk. And if it does, then sure. so I think I just like, I'm not, I'm generally, I would say, I, would, I support the idea of the Sixers, you know, trading for, for Kyrie, but I just don't see it as as a feasible as a, uh, option as I laid out earlier. So, um, yeah, I generally seem tend to be pro just because it's a short term, you know, short term partnership at, at at worst or best, whatever you want to phrase it as. But, but yeah, it just doesn't seem likely. It just seems it seems to be a leverage thing from Brooklyn side because basically all the neutral reports or reports that maybe come from more Kyrie side of things, it's like L.A. And LeBron wants to play right. with him, and LeBron, you know, and whatnot. So LeBron obviously has a lot of sway in the league. So for sure, uh, there's the the net side. It seems like, yeah, we've got all these different suitors, and it's like, eh, I don't know do, that's- you, do you like you <laughs> yeah. got like maybe Dallas, probably not. And look, I think Daryl Morey does his due diligence on everyone. I think that yeah. he will call. I think him, Masai, like the generally speaking, the best GMs are going to make a phone call. And yeah. just be like, hey, we want to know what what it's like, at least. What what's going like? What what are you looking for? Is there anything realistic that we could make happen? Whatever. But at the same time, everything we've said about it, like not being really realistic. I also think like most of the time when we talk about like getting a guy in a contract year, I'm like, 
hell yeah. Like you get a guy in a contract year, he's going to bust his ass. Like there's a, plenty of examples of guys overperforming in contract years and like really trying the regular season in the playoffs. But like Kyrie, once again, is kind of the exception to a lot of rules, like where like he could just as easily get here and just be like, yeah, I don't want to play anymore. <laughs> yeah, we, we just we just saw him in a year where he, he was eligible for a giant extension. Yeah, he played twenty nine games. And yeah, he's like whatever. Back. Like, yeah. yeah, I think the the thing that I would say too, like, is I'm not saying that like Daryl operates by like you know you know uh, what's the word like uh, considering the opinions of his two best players all the time. Like, I don't think I, I think maybe sometimes, but I think if in this specific instance, if he was going to if there was a possibility of acquiring Curry, I think he would talk with Harden, especially and even MB to an extent, like. Is this the sort of thing that, like, do you like hard? I know you just, have, you just play with, like, do you, is that something like, is this, is this feasible? Are we going to have like locker room issues and like that? So I think in this case, like, you know, not to not like try to like appeal to authority, you know, that or anything like that, but like, I think if in the in the unlikely event that Kyrie does become a sixer, I don't think the Harden saga would like loom large because I think Harden would be someone who's supportive of it. He and, has like, to be. Yeah. Yeah. So, and that's not to say that it would play out ideally. Maybe they, maybe they, you know, it's always like, you know, the idea that like, you know, uh, Distance makes absence distance makes the heart grow fonder. Maybe <laughs> maybe they forget it. it's like oh yeah maybe I don't like playing I don't like seeing this guy every day. But I'm just saying it on the surface I don't think that like Daryl will be like making this move and then Harden's like seeing the notification from Shams and he's like oh no I think yeah. there's a lot of there'd be at least uh, you know asking or you know inciting. Uh, of course they're um, hanging out in, they're hanging out in the Hamptons right now. I just saw uh, Michael Rubin post a picture with a little baby there so. <laughs> I'm assuming they're all there to work out his, uh, you know, supermax with fanatics. And, <laughs> yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah, that, like, yeah. The the timing of that couldn't have been more perfect. The as, as free agency begins, uh, so funny. Michael Rubin is is uh, getting rid of his his minority ownership stake in, in the Sixers. So just it's merely a coincidence. Yeah. Merely, just the timing is 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 just <laughs> completely random, not planned at all. So, so guys, nice job. Nice yeah, job. absolutely. But no, like I. I totally agree with kind of what you said. Um, now, if, you know, for example, Joel Embiid, uh, Jason Dumas reported, I had heard this as well, that Joel Embiid, uh, you know, was pushing the front office to at least make a push for Kevin Durant, which it's Kevin Durant. Of course, you're going to, like, yeah. think any player in the NBA would want to play with Kevin Durant. He's one of the greatest players of all time. I don't think the Sixers have enough, uh, even if they include Tyrese Maxey and Tobias Harris and Matisse Thibel. Like, there will be offers out there that have draft capital and prospects that are going to be able to beat them. But, like, if Harden and Embiid were on the same page in that regard, went to Maury and they were like, look, we can bring in Kyrie as the third guy. And, like, we'll still have Maxey as the sixth man. Like, that's a loaded, talented team. And, like, ultimately keeping those guys is what's happening. But, like, or what happy is what's best, but like looking like it's funny because like most of these reunions that happen, whether it's like Harden and Durant or like any or Kyrie and LeBron that's coming up, there's usually like a five or 10 year gap in between where like, you know, they kind of forget about all the things they didn't like about the person. Like you said, like you could just kind of go about this reunion or whatever. And like, you know, make a big deal of it, and then they get back together and everything's great and they're playing well, blah, blah, blah. This was literally this calendar year. It was in February that this breakup happened. Yeah, five so, months ago, they were still on the same team. So. Yeah, yeah. So so that's why I think it is just absolutely uh, like out of the question. But, you know, it, it it's Kyrie, so you never know. And it's Maury, so you never know. Those are the two guys that, like, I feel like from an executive standpoint – and from a player standpoint, are the two most unpredictable guys in the NBA. What's going on, guys? I am very excited to announce that Philly Sports Trips is now the official travel partner of the You Know Ball podcast. The biggest reason why I've partnered with Philly Sports Trips is really simple. I give them my money. I have a mini vacation that involves the Sixers, Eagles, and Phillies, and I don't have to lift a finger to plan anything. I can party as light as I want or as hard as I want, and Philly Sports Trips takes care of everything that I hate. The planning, the organizing, researching where to go. And I get a five-star hotel, non-crazy flight schedules, and tailgates that have unbelievable food and booze. And most importantly, it's a douchebag-free zone. These are just some of the many reasons that I am excited to partner with Philly Sports Trip. I can't wait to go on a Sixers trip next season, and Uniball is absolutely going on the road to at least one Eagles game. 
So let me know which Eagles game you would want to go to, and I would love to do a huge you-know-ball road trip. Out of all the cities, I'm thinking New York or Chicago, but I want to know what you guys think as well. So tweet at me, at TrailBroDude, DM me, comment on the YouTube, and let me know which Eagles game you guys think we should go as a group this season. Phillies and Eagles trips are booking right now. So head over to phillysportstrips.com and let them know that you know ball sent you for two very important reasons. Not only does it help fund the podcast, but we'll have VIP events and goodies specifically just for you know ball listeners. phillysportstrips.com, premium travel for every Philly sports fan and a proud sponsor of the you know ball podcast. But uh but anyway, on to Eric Gordon um, so Eric Gordon, once again, another report came out that basically said like, Hey, the Sixers are going out, out after Eric Gordon. And, uh, then immediately, you know, cat people got together and they were basically like, yeah, that's not really possible unless you move Tobias Harris, which all of this basically comes down to what it Harden extends for what we talked about earlier. And if they can move Tobias Harris, because Tobias Harris his contract is so big that it makes even making moves now that you have the MLE, the BAE, whatever, because of the hard cap, since you use those exceptions and potentially if you get back someone in a sign in trade, all of those things you have to work within the you know constraints of the hard cap. So long story short, and they could try to do like a four or a five for one kind of similar to what Dallas did in the uh, Dallas and Houston did in the Christian Wood deal or uh, the Celtics and the Pacers did with Malcolm Brogdon and uh, Daniel Tice and all them. But at the same time, it does seem like that would be Thibel, Korkmaz, Niang, and Isaiah Joe or Shake, one of the two on the minimums. And so you're basically getting rid of the back end of your roster and then you're bringing in Eric Gordon and you'd have like, 12 or 13 players, I believe it is, on the roster, and you'd have no room to operate if Harden signs for that $35 million number. Like, you would literally go into the season with, like, 13 players on the roster, which does not seem realistic at all. But at the same time, like, I personally would be like, if we could turn Thibel, Korkmaz, and whoever into, and Niang, and whoever into Eric Gordon, like, on paper, that would be great. I mean, I think I feel like I would be have a lot of trust in our one through nine if they're able to pull off that consolidation trade. And I would like that way more than just trading Tobias in a salary dump and getting back Eric Gordon and then whoever else fills up the rest of that. Yeah, yeah, I, I totally agree. I mean, like, uh, the, obviously, you know, Tobias, uh, the contract is what it is. But, like, he's just a better player than Eric Gordon. Like, yeah. I mean, and I, I, like Eric, I like Eric Gordon. I've talked about the merits of trading from a guy that can – pass Eric or sorry and he doesn't pass really but a guy who can drive and shoot is sure. like a really like and you I think you've talked about like he's really his, his numbers on drives are really good shot well from three last year um makes sense but he just I, I think it I think it's short-sighted to to move Tobias to get him I just don't think it makes sense um Tobias is good in his role now if you could you know if you could move Tobias and then you you, you like you trade for another wing or something that opens up more space then sure but like that that's like it doesn't make sense to me to, to move Tobias in that deal. It's a worse player that you're getting back. But, yeah, I think it makes total sense. And your your guard rotation becomes really, really good at that point, right, with Melton, Eric Gordon, Tyrese Maxey, James Harden, like all different kind of – I mean, there's, I think there's definitely some similarities between Maxey and Gordon, um, at least offensively, but like all different types of guards too, right? Sure. So, and that, that's pretty good. You would be short on wings, but, like, I don't think – like the, the, one, of the, one of the tropes that kind of bothers me about the NBA is people – like I'm not saying, like, you don't need wings, but, like, we just watched the finals where, like, there were basically like three wings and the two teams' rotations. And I know that Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, and Drew Wiggins sure. are all parts, but like, none of those, like, they didn't. Have, there was nobody else in the rotation that would be classified as a wing, really. So, right, um, like, it's not that's not the only way to win. And so, like, yeah, you probably you would want you would want a wing or two to be available in your rotation, but like, it's not imperative that you have them over the Sixers. And I think it, you know, from a from a basketball perspective, it would be it would be cool to watch them a team to try a different way to build, right? Like with a dominant big man and some complimentary guards and whatnot. But um, yeah, I'm with you that I wouldn't move Tobias just to make room for Eric Gordon, unless you're getting back a guy who can kind of fill 
Tobias's role of that big wing defender. Right. So could you get like Harrison Barnes is the yeah. question. Like yeah. that, that would be, that's like the most popular one that's brought up all the time. I don't think that Sacramento would have any interest because of Keegan Mur drafting Keegan Murray. I don't think they would have interest in bringing in Tobias. Um, I, that is like the kind of framework where like, okay, I could get down with that. If it were a possibility, I don't think it is a possibility, but like if you could get a Harrison Barnes, if you could get even like a Reggie Bullock from the Mavericks or whatever, and then Eric Gordon fills out the rest of the salary. Okay. You could talk me into these kind of moves, but generally speaking, like you said, Tobias is a better player than Eric Gordon. And like, you know, Eric Gordon, while he probably was like that kind of perfect fit for those Houston teams. And I do think that he would still be a good complimentary player here. Ideally, you would want him coming off the bench and having a smaller role at his age, at like 33 years old, I believe he is now. I think once again, this could be an angling. Like if there were a Tobias move where he's getting traded to a third team, because it does seem like the Eric Gordon stuff is at least somewhat real. And like, they really are genuinely pursuing him. We, heard, like him, we heard it from both sides, right? We heard it from sure. you know, the course on draft night. And then uh, I forget his name. Sorry, but uh, Jonathan, or, something from the, no, no, the other um, covers the rocket for the athletic really. Kelly Aiko. Yeah. Uh, no, his, his, his <laughs> the other guy. Oh my yeah, God. Uh, I can't remember. He, does really, <laughs> he has really great work. A lot of film stuff. I apologize for, um, not not having his name here, but he he reported he like confirmed Keith's report. And he's like, I'm not usually a sources guy, so I think it's definitely telling that you know par people from both you know part parties um, are uh, you know are talking about it. So and usually I don't you know I usually when people say they're not sources guys, are not worth believing. But this guy is. He's covered the Rockets for a long time, and and so he was more saying like if I'm if I'm confirming something that like you know it, it's it's got legs. So yeah, I tend to agree that there's definitely at least been considerable talks, but I just. Yeah, I guess unless it's a five, four for one, five for one, but I don't know, like, what's the big appeal? Like, what's the like, what's the what's the kicker for Houston, right? Like, what do you, what do you give him? You know, I guess like maybe the idea that like George Niang has value, maybe you can move him to, you know, get get, get something back. You know, a, a young guy that you like, or or if you yeah, if you like Isaiah Joe, but like at the same time, like, like they have so many young guys that they're trying to develop yeah. right now, and like my whole thing on this has basically been like. You know, if there were some kind of move, like I said before, like if you could get back that Harrison Barnes or whatever, but like then you're starting to get into like this crazy level where like we're moving Thibel along with Tobias and then that team is is sending an asset to the Rockets, like a future first or whatever. But then like they're taking on the Tobias contract. So why would they send a future first? So like it gets really crazy. The only idea, it kind of relates to what we talked about with the Kyrie thing where like Gordon isn't guaranteed for that final year of his contract. So him and Tobias have the same amount, but Maury's the one who made that deal. And he's, so he's technically going into the final year of his deal. So if Maury wanted more flexibility or whatever for next off season, plus he thinks Gordon might be a good fit for this team and he wants TJ, PJ Tucker to have a bigger role and whatever, then that could make a little bit of sense. But at the same time, like, I think Tobias is going to have value a year from now for the Sixers as an expiring contract, if anything. Like, it's kind of like the Russell Westbrook thing. Especially if, especially if he, like, plays like he did for the last sure. couple of the year. Like, I mean, guy defended well, shot, shot well from three, moved the ball well as a driver as well. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there's definitely – I think there's the potential for Tobias to have, like, the most impactful year of his career this next season and then be a, a guy that, like, clearly he's well-regarded as a personality around the league and, like, yep. expiring, he's a veteran, like, there's – there's clearly a ton of appeal to form if he, if he continues to play like he did the last couple of months. So, yeah, I tend to agree. And I think, you know, my, my boss, Paul Hedrick at Liverpool, has talked a lot about it. It just seems a lot more likely that he's dealt next year than this year. It just seems like sure. the, the, the stars align better for that. So I tend to agree with you for sure. And I also think, like, you know, the regular season is really long. And, like, having multiple guys who can shot create – multiple guys who can run at least a little bit of offense whenever you're resting Harden or Embiid or whoever it is. Like the goal is to keep these guys healthy for the playoffs. And like, mm -hmm. you know, Tobias, obviously if, if his whole thing is like, he wants to be on ball more, the nights where those guys are sitting are the nights where he gets to kind of do that more. He can flex a little bit more and run some pick and roll and, and, and have some offense run through him. And still in spurts in the regular season, you're going to want to give Embiid rest during games. It's something that Andrew Underberger brought up when he was on the podcast was like, 
it was this was kind of before Maxi had his like real breakout like during the season, but he was basically like Tobias is a guy who can eat possessions in the right re- in the long regular season and and let him be to rest during a game even. <laughs> like he can take yeah. a few possessions in a row. And now it's like you have four and I, I'm all for the idea of having like five guys on the court at all times that can create a, at least a little bit. And like you know, PJ Tucker and Melton might be able to attack secondary actions, even though Melton, it's not his strongest suit. And it's wasn't really PJ Tucker's until this last year in Miami. But having Tobias as a guy that you can fall back on as a creator in a pinch, whether someone gets injured or someone needs to rest or whatever it is, just to have someone that is an extra shot creator can't really hurt. And like, once again, if we could figure out a way and if Michael Rubin, if you're listening to this, just throw the bag at James Harden so we can circumvent the cat and we can and we can uh, get Eric Gordon here. Because apparently another thing that I have heard is that his two best friends in Houston were Gordon and Tucker. So that might be part of the reason why he's been pushing for us to get these guys because he knows he plays well with them. He They know his game. He knows their game. And then on top of that, like, they're good fits and like you want to keep your stars happy. So, and also I think Embiid loving PJ Tucker doesn't hurt too, because he is, you know, calling him a dog and like, like mental yeah, tough. Him, him, him name dropping PJ Tucker 45 minutes after the PJ Tucker was a key piece uh, of the team that sent them home. Uh, yeah, exactly. So doesn't hurt things either. Yeah. So I, I, I do think that the Eric Gordon thing is also unlikely. I think that, uh, I think that might be the kind of move where I I, I honestly just like if Houston turned down multiple picks in the twenties this year for Eric Gordon, I think they'll probably just let him expire. Like uh, unless he's involved in one of these massive deals, that's probably going to happen sometime in the next week, which could be like a five or six team trade, depending on what happens with Aiton and Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving and all of that shit. Then I do think that it's, it's most likely that that the Rockets will just hold on to Gordon uh, unless unless the Sixers can figure out a way to get back something. But like, I don't want Davis Pertance. I don't want like I don't want guys that like are just like salary filler in a trade. And I know Sixers fans get fed up with Tobias and whatever, but like ultimately he's going to be better than almost anyone that we can get back from him right now, at least. And and then a year from now, I think you revisit the situation. You see how everything went, you see how he fit and whatever, and you can maybe move him as an expiring and have a way to improve the team next off season. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. I will say about the Eric Gordon thing, I want you mentioning them like turning down multiple picks in the twenties. I think one of the things that maybe I've seen, maybe this just rockets propaganda, but it seems like, people tend to praise Raphael Stone for kind of like doing right by some of the veterans. And sure, sure, sure. sure. So I wonder if maybe it's one of those things where like they're, they're kind of talking with, with Gordon about these things and they're like, like, does he, does he want, and maybe this is, maybe this is me being too optimistic about how GMs operate with players and whatnot, but like, maybe there's some of it like, like, would you rather just stay in Houston and kind of mentor some of the young guys or do you want to right. go to the team next team? Why? So I, that's just some speculation. Again, maybe it's too optimistic about that sort of thing, but um, it just seems like I've seen people praise Raphael Stone for, you know, treating some of these veterans properly as they, as they exit Houston. So um, I kind of just wonder about that. But yeah, I think we've kind of exhausted the the Gordon talk on here. For sure. Yeah, I know. It, it's just like, I feel like I've been, it's funny because mo- like Lakers fans, people that have like Miami Heat fans, Lakers fans, like they sit around and they obsess, like how, how can we get Donovan Mitchell? How can we get, when does Jason Tatum's contract expire again? And Sixers fans sit around and they're like, if we could just have 33 year old Eric Gordon, it, all of our problems would be solved. 37 year old PJ Tucker in the world. <laughs> it's like, it's like the, uh, the like utopia meme if the Sixers had Eric Gordon, <laughs> PJ Tucker. That's the world would that's, be perfect. That's right. Yeah. We literally, well, the jokes, the jokes so far, we'll talk a little bit about the trades and the signings that have happened so far for the Sixers right now. But like the jokes have been like, oh, they're reassembling these old Rockets teams. And some of the points that have been brought up by people is like, those teams were really good. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think I tweeted to like, I, like the jokes are great, like making like, but like, yeah, I saw some, maybe this is me strawman or maybe just looking at the wrong stuff. Like, I thought maybe like actually kind of like criticizing Maury for them. There's reasons to criticize Maury with some of those mistakes growing up. But like, like they built a team that won like 65 games <laughs> that way. Like, I know Daniel House wasn't on the, the 18, the 17, 18 Rockets, but like he built some really good teams around Harden. Like, sure. Like and now he's re- he's acquiring guys and I know they're older and stuff but like but yeah I, I think it, it makes sense for sure so like you know 
there's legitimate things to criticize Daryl for during his time as a, as a Sixers, you know, uh, president of basketball operations. But like some of the stuff I saw about that, it was like, he's just signing good players, like <laughs> who fit well yeah. along as stars. So, uh, yeah. Also I, I, this, this free agency class was just really bad. Like I do, yeah. I do think that that's being kind of, cause like there have been really not a lot of trades and, and there was expected to be trades, but because of the Kevin Durant thing, it does feel like a lot of moves might've been put on the back burner. And like, there's only been like a handful of trades so far and the large majority are coming from free agent signings. And then you look around the league and you're like, there's not a lot of cap space. There's not a lot of like good free agents. Like there's just like a handful of like solid rotation players. You might be able to acquire for like the BAE or the MLE and all things considered when it comes to that, I think it's totally fine. Like what, like I, I think it's totally fine. I think that, I, I do think that like everyone got a little, like they got a little bit hooked on the slot because like we had draft night 2020 was so exciting. We had the Harden trade, which happened a few months ago, which was very exciting. We had these big splash moves and like, sometimes you just get like last off season where like, obviously the Ben Simmons situation created its own unique world, but like you get George Niang and Andre Drummond who were good contributors for, especially for how much money they made. And that's it and it's just kind of boring and you're just like uh really that's it like that's that's all you're doing but like this time around like i think the idea of the players that they went after melton tucker house and then well i don't really know much about travion queen but him as well like it does seem like they're focusing more on this two-way element so you have to be able to like you know, one of the things that we saw in the playoffs, and I think the Boston Celtics are like a great example of a team that just kind of was like really good one through eight, one through seven. And like all of those guys could generally speaking survive on both ends of the court. Like I think the like, of course, not everyone was a great two-way player, but they all had elements that they brought to the table on both sides. And I think that Daryl Morey and the Sixers front office said, we need to get more guys who can stay on the court in the playoffs on defense and offense, because you have your George Niang who can't stay on the court defensively. And then you have your Matisse Thibel who can't stay on the court offensively. So guys that they, the guys that they brought in all kind of fit that mold. And I'm totally fine with getting more two way players and building out the depth. Cause the depth was absolutely terrible at, after the James Harden trade. Yeah. And I think, I think what he wants to is like, maybe like skewed offensively somewhat, but like, your offense has to be able to like play well off of Embiid and Harden. And I think, right. I think Melton can do that, especially, you know, with his, his high volume three point rate and, you know, his effectiveness and, you know, Daniel house is a guy. The thing, and the thing that's interesting to me about Daniel house is like, people kind of call him this three and D wing, but like, I think his best skills offense, I think he shot well from three with Utah, but like, I think his best skill, like he attacks closeouts. Well, he can, he can pass on the mm-hmm. move a little bit. And like most of the Sixers complimentary guys couldn't attack closeouts, right? Like I wouldn't consider Maxi a complimentary guy. Like obviously no, he's great at that, but like, Danny Green, like everyone knows, you don't you didn't want him dribbling. George right. Manning, you didn't want that either. Like Furcon, no, Shake, like you just you just want something a little more from Shake. Um, sure. perpetually the last couple of years, unfortunately. Isaiah Joe obviously isn't a rotation guy, but we know his struggle scoring inside the arc. So like a guy in Daniel House, I think, is an interesting dynamic of someone who can, you know, attack closeouts, dribble a little bit in like advantage situations. So um, I like I like that wrinkle for sure. But yeah, I tend to agree that like they're trying to find guys who maybe skew defensive in terms of you know what they're better at but also can play well off of this team's best players and so um yeah i, I agree it hasn't been a splashy offseason thus far yet but like they they upgrade you know you melton's a better player than danny green they're different players but then yep. you add tucker and and uh and daniel tucker house. over niang you know like house, over, house over yeah or yeah, whoever yeah, it is yeah. in the rotation yeah so i i the thing with tucker i, I do i mean i do wonder and i wrote about it but like I do, I do worry a little bit about them kind of paying for a career outlier year from him last year. Like, sure, like he was fine for Milwaukee. The offense was pretty poor, but like he's not getting. A, and I get, I get, it's, he, he played better, so like he he made more money. But like he's not getting anywhere close to that last off season, right? He, what do you get? He got he got two fifteen or whatever with the player option sure. on the six. Yeah, I think that was it. Year, or two thirteen, I can't remember. Um, but like he's not he's not getting three thirty three. You know, so I, I worry a little bit about that with Tucker. Like if the three pointer regresses back to you know where it was before last year, the floater was something he was really reliant on this year. I think he was like over fifty percent on runners. Uh, yeah, he was really good in that. And yeah, that's that, you no, know, that's a tough shot to kind of 
suffi- suffice on. Um, but yeah, I, and, and now talking the, the defense, the, just the Miami Heat's defense, the, they're kind of the surrounding defenders think we're better equipped for Tucker. The movement shooting kind of helps get to those short roll situations. So I worry a little bit, but I do think that like Tucker is going to help and having like a wing who can guard multiple positions and like slide his feet quite well uh, is useful. And I think there's, I think what's cool too is like you can kind of like use to, like part of the issue, like Tobias not first round right against, you know, until Toronto realized that he could set screens uh, for Pascal, like he played really good defense, Tobias did. Sure. The yeah. screen navigation is obviously not something he's great at. But now right. I think it's interesting that like you have like you have some lineups maybe where you can play a you can play like a I don't know how feasible this is, maybe offensive, but like a foursome of Melton Embiid, Hart, Melton Embiid, Harris, and Tucker. And like you can feel pretty comfortable switching those things. Like, that's what made Tucker so good. Like he wasn't fighting around screens all the time. But like he's he, like he's 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 aggressively attacking that switch and then passing off to someone else who can, you know, switch too. So there's four guys there that you feel comfortable with. So and that's an important even Daniel House as well, right? So um, and that's an important thing is like the Sixers had some issues defensively last year because when you you know the plus especially when you got Tobias off of the primary guy, it was like, all right, what do you do now? Whereas it's like, all right, now you got right. some now you got some options. So um, I have some concerns about the Tucker offense, like I said, and I kind of went on a tangent there, but. Um, yeah, I like I like the Tucker fit maybe a little more after I've seen the you know kind of the conjoining move I talked about in my piece that like I worried about the defensive fit, but you know as we talked about uh, the defense is better now than maybe when I you know I analyzed his fit initially in Philadelphia. Sure. So that's important for sure. Yeah, and I also think like having played with Harden before, something that we discussed, knowing how to play off Harden on offense and defense, because you know with James Harden you're going to switch more. That's just kind of how it is, and like. You know, Tobias, got to give him credit for when he was switching last year. I joke around and I say he's the worst versatile defender in the NBA where, like, he can guard. He's not the uh, a particularly great defender. When he locks in on that and on ball, he can be pretty good. But, like, not many guys are guarding Carl Anthony Towns one game and then Darius Garland the next game. Like, it's it's kind for, – for someone that isn't known as a defender, he did a pretty good job, all things considered. Did a good job on Siakam in the playoffs, like you, like you had mentioned. But – I do think that, like, I I wonder about, like, how much the offense stuff is going to matter. Because I think about, like, what Tucker is going to bring to the table on offense. And I think about, like, we all know him as the corner three-point shooter. We know that he can do a little bit attacking closeouts now, at least more than he did before. Where, like, he's putting the ball on the ground. He's getting into that floater game. He might be able to move the ball a little bit better with the short roll passing, as, as you described. But I do wonder, like, going from Matisse Thibel, who, like, can be completely left open in a corner and can kind of mess up the spacing, is everything just going to revolve around that Harden and Bead pick and roll? And it's just kind of like this gravitational force, right? Where you could just put PJ in a corner, you can space him out to the top of the key, and then your whole idea is that you basically just have guys who are completely willing three-point shooters and then at least somewhat able to attack a closeout in order to kind of make your half court offense a lot more versatile and Tucker's offense definitely scared me when he played for Milwaukee which is why I didn't want him last offseason because I was like he's 36 like I'm like I'm not I don't want to be the guy that pays the 36 year old to come here and then completely regress but last year like it does seem like this would you argue like was that the best year of his career, at least two way wise? I think it was, and I, I never, yeah. I never want to like be the the, ner- the the numbers guy, but I think EPM said said so. I would say I wasn't, you know, I wasn't in depth watching PJ Tucker when he had the start of his career necessarily, but among the last three or four years, definitely I think, and he was he was good for those Houston teams, but yeah, the three, I mean, he shot like forty two percent from three between the playoffs in the regular season. As I yeah. mentioned, the floor was really good, so yeah, definitely the best. I think the best year of his career and I I wonder with Tucker the, the thing that's gonna be important is his usage offensively because like he just does not shoot above the break threes like I think I looked at clinic last like between the playoffs and regular season he shot like 22 of them which is like yeah, they're almost like, all from the quarter yeah and, and Boston realized that like they just like he doesn't look at the hoop above the break and they realized sure. that was like the third round and uh and kind of ignored him so that's gonna be important is keeping him in the corners um and then also I can't, I can't remember, is it is it Harden's right side where he doesn't usually like like he can't really pass like from left to right or is it le- right? I honestly to left? don't know. I, I know that, I know there's one weakness that he, like if his passing like he can't pass that well to a, a certain corner. So it'd be important just whichever one it is. I should know this, but um, regardless, point being wherever whichever one that is, 
like making sure Tucker's not the guy there because then he's just a total liability because teams Absolutely. don't really guard him in the corners anyways, and they're not gonna they're not gonna prioritize a corner three from him over an MB roll or Harden drive. Absolutely. So um, just kind of important notes there. It's like not you know, to station him where Harden can get in the ball and also to station him where he's gonna shoot the three when it comes to him or at least do something with it rather than you know basically stand with his back to the rim of the, <laughs> of the break. Right. Uh, and I mean, the rebounding is definitely going to help. He's a good rebounder. You know, Melton's one of the best guard rebounders in the NBA that they just acquired. Like, I do think that they looked at what the weakness is. Like Daryl Morey said before the deadline, it was funny. He's like, we need to work on defense and rebounding. And then he just traded for James Harden. And he was like, okay, well, we got James Harden. Like, what can you do? <laughs> like, so I do think that they're both going to help in that regard. We know what Melton can do on the defensive end. I guess my whole question revolving around all of this, because, like, I didn't watch a ton of Daniel House. I I am – so, like, it does seem like he's a guy where when he is tasked with a lot of offensive creation load, he's really bad. Like, everyone in Houston, like, Rockets fans have been tweeting at me, like, this guy's going to drive you nuts. Like, he'll make you want to pull your hair out. And I'm like, well, like – at any given time he's on the court, I'm hoping he's like the fifth offensive option. Like I wouldn't imagine you're you're running any sort of offense through Daniel House. He's there to cre- to attack, and you know I don't even think he's going to be running secondary actions. I think he'll literally just be attacking closeouts, shooting open threes, doing whatever he needs to do as a role player in that regard. So, like, I just like I don't really know what to make of Daniel House because like this is a guy who a few months ago was available for a veterans minimum, got picked up by two different teams. found his footing as you said with the jazz like to the point where like a jazz fan said to me that at one point they benched Royce O'Neal for Daniel House in at the close games in the playoffs which to me is like like Royce O'Neal makes nine million dollars a year and just got traded for a first round pick and Daniel House we just got for four million and like what does he bring to the table really because is he gonna be you know like obviously he's had a history with Harden and if you look at his numbers when Harden and Chris Paul were there like and then right after it was like two completely different players like it's like crazy how much his numbers fell off so what what is he going to bring to the table for them on defense and like will will he do you think he'll be closer to what we saw in Houston and in Utah than what he was whenever you know Harden was gone yeah I think you know he I mean he rightfully so is playing over uh Royce Neal in the playoffs I mean Royce Neal struggled defensively like a lot more than he did last year in the He's so passive as a shooter. Um, and yeah, I mean, Daniel House, from my recollection, you know, from my watching, I should say, um, in Utah, like pretty good guarding it, kind of twos and threes, moves well, kind of understands angles, um, kind of similar to Danny Green. I think he's much better ladder than Danny is, but um, kind of similar idea where it just feels like when Danny has a good defensive position, it's like he knew where the guy was going. Um, and that's, you know, how Daniel House is, I think, at least in Utah. Um, so I think that's, that's important. Kind of, I think you usually want to keep him on twos and threes, don't really want to have many ones and fours. Um, but yeah, I think, I think Rockets fans are, are right to some, to some regard that like, or to some degree that like, you might, you might get frustrated with him a little bit attacking flow. That's maybe doing a little bit too much when the ball swings his way. Uh, obviously Sixers fans are not, uh, unfamiliar with maybe a, a limited wing doing too much of the ball in his hands and Danny Green, uh, sure. limited off the dribble, I should say. Um, so I think definitely have some frustration there, but I like, but I think he's much more fluid attacking flow than Danny Green. Um, different, not the same caliber of shooter, but can pass better as well. So um, there was some frustration. He's not perfect. I don't, I don't love his off-ball defense. I'd have to go back and look at my notes a little bit more, but I generally just remember him being bet like best on the ball um, defensively. So um, good pickup for sure. I think you know, as he said, he plays like he did when he was on uh, in other good winning situations. Um, so I, I like it for sure, and um, I think he's a guy that you can play. You know, as your your seventh, eighth man. And I, as you said, like. The fact that they have more playable guys now, I think, is important. Like, that was – I mean, they just – they idea they had kind of the high-end talent last year, but didn't quite work that way between, you know, MB, or MB's injuries and hardened inconsistencies. Um, but it just definitely didn't have, you know, the, the low end, you know, the depth there, right? So right. Um, I think that's an, it's a good move when you're not going to be relying on for even starters minutes for the most part. Well, <laughs> you might. I mean, we're depending on – we're going to talk about the, the opening of the three, but – right. Um, but I think ideally, you know, as we said, we don't think this is the last move they've made. But we did kind of say that we didn't think it's the last significant move they've made. But anyhow, yeah, I think Daniel has a good pickup. I didn't love 
the BAE for him, but it did seem like maybe that was what the market determined just because of the scarcity of wings available. Sure. Like Cody so, Martin, who I, I would have loved, got eight million. Like we just Yeah, like, and I think that's you know, I think that's yeah, a totally yeah. reasonable deal for Cody, assuming yeah. he's as good as he was last year offensively. But um definitely more than that, because I mean I wrote about both Martin twins and I thought they'd be more like taxpayer MLE guys. Obviously mm-hmm. the Sixers end up having the non-taxpayer they use on PJ, but um, yeah, I didn't expect four for 32 for Cody, and I think it's a worthwhile deal. But between that and the, the house move, it seemed like there was a yeah. kind And of then you wrote about you wrote about Gary Payton the second as well, and he got like I believe like 7.5 or 8 million too, if I remember I got, correctly. I think he got 328 from the from the Blazers. Yeah, so, so so, so like not. yeah, it was either like P, it was either PJ Tucker or one of those mm-hmm. guys. And like ultimately I'm I'm fine with PJ Tucker as long as it's this season and next season. And then that last year, it might be a Danny Green situation where you're mm-hmm. looking at that contract and saying, Daryl likes to have just tradable contracts. Like it just seems yeah. like he likes to have like, a, like part of the reason why they might even be trying to acquire Eric Gordon is because that last year is not fully guaranteed. And like, you'll still have someone you can move if you need to improve the roster, because it seems like a lot of smart GMs just always like to have those guys on the books. But like, the idea behind getting Tucker and and uh, House in here is once again the same stuff that we've been talking about. Two way guys can play off of uh, can play off Harden and Embiid well, and and all of that stuff. But I, you know, I know you love Melton. We'll we'll talk a little bit about Melton. So like this idea of getting like a guard who because you talked about like the wings and you said like there's only three wings that you would categorize that really were like heavily in the rotation in uh, the finals, this idea of getting like guards who can almost like pass as wings at times. Like for example, like Melton's six, three, but he has a six, nine wingspan. Um, You know, he, he did guard threes sometimes when he was with the Grizzlies. Like, what did you make of the Melton pickup? First off, did you think it was a steal? Like I did getting him for the 23rd pick in the draft. And then on top of that, like, what is he going to bring to the table that will fit well with the other pieces that they got. Yeah, I thought it was a really good. I, I thought it, I thought it was a move that made sense for for both sides. Kind of, I mean, I don't know. Like the Memphis has like so many cooks in the kitchen. They don't necessarily know trading for a young, un, unproven guy <laughs> made sense. But it did seem like Melton uh, just maybe wasn't quite fitting there. I don't know. Maybe that's off base. But obviously they maybe they agreed because they moved him. But um, yeah, I mean, he's. I thought two years ago he was like kind of a borderline all defensive guy. Maybe didn't play quite enough minutes. Uh, I thought he was a little less good last year, but um, gets around screens really well. Um, great hands. Um, plays physically, I think. One of the things that made Memphis' defense so good last year was they had a lot of guys who could, like, play bigger or smaller than they needed. You know, Kyle Anderson could play, could play smaller and, and Melton could play bigger, things like that. So great hands. Um, his It's, like, ridiculous. He's cleaning the glass, like, steal and block rates are, like, always among like, the top, I think, like, for most of you, like, the 90th percentile are better than both of them. Um, yeah. It's like him and Thibel are all at the top yeah. of the like the steals, the blocks, think, the deflections. And I think he's a little more discretionary than Thibel, which is you know which is good. Like I think more of his like takeaways come within the flow of a defensive possession rather than sure. you know uh, Thibel kind of being the marching to the beat of his own drum, which is good and bad. Um, the offense, I think he's gotten a lot better offensively the last couple of years. I think um, someone used to cover the Grizz. Man, I'm. Like on name, someone covered the Grizzlies wrote a nice piece about Melton last two years ago when he first kind of, I think he shot over forty percent from three or maybe close to it, and like he kind of revamped his mechanics, um, a little more fluid. So um, not like a guy you're running out like off pin downs, but can relocate, can kind of has a really quick trigger, garners closeouts. Um, he is a guy who I think similar to House, his decision making offensively might frustrate you times. Really can't score well inside the arc, poor finisher, not a great handle, not super explosive. Um, shows passing and flashes like. Like he has, he can make some pretty nice reads, but he also is taking a lot of like contested, not a lot, but like he'll take a contested runner or a fadeaway or a pull up. And you're like, ah, like I don't know if that was the best move. Um, so there, there's some worries there, but like, yeah, really, really versatile shooter. Um, you know, great defensive playmaker and guard kind of one to, I think I kind of maybe set the upper echelon of him like against like a six, 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 seven guy in my article. Um, so I like that piece a lot. I think he like, there's a chance I think he's one of their five best players next year. Um, I don't know how, how high I rate him in the league. I don't, you know, I don't tend not to really, you know, <laughs> uh, uh, entertain the rankings uh, stuff, but, um, really good pickup. I thought just a guy that like they needed, um, I like the feasibility or the possibility of like three guard lineups with, with Harden, Maxi, and sure, and Melton, which are all, and they're all different players too. Um, I don't know if that's something they'll 
Well, I mean, I think I think Doc, you know, for all of his faults, did show some lineup creativity last year. Um, so we could see that for sure. But um, yeah, I, I like the move a lot. Just a guy who can you can play on both ends. Um, you know, the, the jumper. You know, I think about thirty nine percent three last couple of years. So um, on big volume. So I like it a lot. And yeah, like uh, seven so, threes per thirty six. Like putting up yeah. like a good good volume. And also, once again, we he already knows how to play off of a star and John ja Morant and. I do think that uh, the one thing that like we've talked about, like when it comes to like lineup versatility and all of that with Melton, with the three guard lineups, like you said, like, I do think that this might be a little bit more of like Maury kind of forcing Doc's hand a little bit uh, in terms of like just constructing the roster. So like giving him guys that can play multiple positions, like maybe having a small ball option in PJ Tucker that you can go to in certain situations not signing a veteran backup big that's just going to be like someone that he knows that Doc is going to play all of the time um, and kind of taking that, you know, creativity that Doc might have shown at times and things that he might be able to like take risk with and kind of like push him towards that direction. Because I do think that like ultimately that's what matters most in the playoffs. And like we know the Sixers are going to be a good regular season team. In fact, I would argue with the roster upgrades that they've made, as long as health withstanding, I think they're going to be a top three seed in the East. Like, I think that looking at the team right now, I think the depth is significantly better. As long as Harden is somewhat normal, Maxi takes another step, and you kind of just, like, look at how, how good they were when the starters were on the court, offensively especially, last year. And you pretty much do upgrades all across the boards to make your lineups more versatile, to make, uh, you know, to give more two-way players, all of that. Like, I wouldn't be shocked if we're sitting here in the Sixers of the one seed next year, just in the regular season. Like, And I think that all of that stuff matters in the playoffs because you need to be able to kind of adjust on the fly, which is something that Doc has struggled with. But if he has a larger sample size of something working from the regular season, which is one thing that Sixers fans have been really frustrated, it's like, well, why are we trying Paul Reed at backup center now? And why didn't we try him in December or January or whenever? Why didn't he get a long stretch? So, like, I do, I am thinking that, like, the way that this roster was constructed is, like, we're going to figure this stuff out during the regular season and we're not going to have like these easy fallback options that, you know, Doc has had in his first two years and uh, you know, that he tends to, cause he, he has his guys and he's comfortable with his guys and like, he doesn't really budge off of that and he can be stubborn in, in, in that regard. Yeah. I, mean, I think, you know, but like by and large, I think the, the option has been successful for the Sixers, both in who they like, how they upgrade the roster and also like, Poaching PJ from Miami, uh, Brooklyn obviously you know in, in shambles. Um, yeah, Boston obviously got a lot. I mean, Boston getting Brogdon and Gallo is going to be you know, sucks. It's, it's, yeah, <laughs> yeah, they're, they're going to be great. Yeah, they're, they're um, one through nine is ridiculous. Yeah, um, but then like I mean, Milwaukee will be really good again. We know that, but like I think right now you could, you could make the case like the Sixers are, are the third best team in the East, right? Like, I mean, sure. that's like I think that's a totally reasonable stance. Now you know third best gets you to the exact same spot you've been most of your time. <laughs> right, exactly. But but, but the Obviously, it's going to come down to Harden, right? I mean, just how good they can be. Like, is he, you know, is he going to be, get back to the guy that he was, you know, pre-injury with Brooklyn and that we saw in spurts with with, the, with Philly and even, you know, post-injury in Brooklyn? Or is he going to be, you know, is he going to be the guy we saw last year? He was like an, an all-star, but one whose aesthetics can frustrate you quite often when, when he struggles. And, you know, clearly a guy who didn't, you know, was was awful in the, in the second half of that game six when, when the six sure. were needed him most. So um, that's, your season's always going to be tied to that to an extent, but I think, Generally, it's been a pretty successful offseason, and you know the, the hope is that you know you get you get a little you get kind of an upswing from your role players, and Boston's you know maybe a little downturn from them, and maybe Milwaukee the sure. same way. But um, yeah, I think you should feel pretty good if you're a Sixers fan that you know even though they didn't make any big moves, that like some of the stuff around them, and you know one of the move the biggest move they did make was you know, taking the, the team that made the conference finals their starting four away. So right. um, yeah, I tend to agree that I think they're going to be a good regular season team, and uh, you know, and they but they've they've given themselves better avenues to, you know, play well in the playoff. I think, you know, the biggest thing that's important is like having like counters and, and, and flexibility and whatnot, you know, in, in the way you play and the lineups you throw out there. And I think by getting a Melton, a PJ and a Daniel house, you have that. And that's, that's always the most important thing in the playoffs, right? Like there's no one way to win. It's just about like having multiple ways to win and, and be able to deviate from one approach. So um, I think the Sixers have accomplished, have, 
accomplished getting closer to that ideal. Um, I don't know if they're quite there compared to maybe a Boston or a, you know, a, a Milwaukee, but definitely better equipped than last year, I think. Assuming that, you know, you get Embiid right back where he was, you know, a year sure. ago. MVP, you know, are the best player in the world. So, um, at least in the conversation. So, yeah, I think they're in a good spot. And I've, you know, we'll see what happens. But, yeah, it's, like I said, it's always going to be about Harden, right? If he's a top 10 guy, then you're you're probably rivaling a, contenders. Yeah, a yeah. Boston or Milwaukee. If he's a top 25, you're – you're probably you're probably gonna, you're gonna need you're gonna need, you need a lot Tyrese Maxey to be a top yeah. twenty five too. <laughs> yeah, you need, you need, you need Maxey garner some uh, some all star consideration next year, which I think could happen. But um, you know, you you feel better about maybe you, you want the known, right? You you know what Harden's been before. You don't know what Maxey's been. You want to rely maybe on that happening again. Then maybe you don't. I don't know. I mean, Maxey proved sure. he's so adaptable and kind of just they say, okay, you're not good at this right now, fix it. And he goes, all right. Does it with a smile, and, and yeah, there, exactly. there you go. So that's what I'm we love excited, about. Him. Say, I'm excited for Maxi next year with his passing. I'm really curious to kind of see. I think he's gonna. I'm sure he's been watching so much film and like realizing there's like he's like oh, I missed that lay down pass or missed that kick out when I attacked a closeout. I think it's gonna be really fun to watch next year because you saw. I mean, he was definitely a better passer by the end of the year. He just didn't have that sure. role because when I wrote about it, but um, you know, Harden just kind of took away his playmaker responsibility. So um, yeah, I tend to agree with you that they should be a very good Raiders team. It sounds like he's working on his passing and his handle right now, which are the two things that I think that everyone wants to hear. It's like, you know, he, he works really hard. He'll, I, I guarantee you he'll be better next year. I don't know how much of that leap is going to re how big that leap is going to be. I should say, like, I, I, I think that that there's a lot riding on Maxi. Like, I think that his growth and his like development is could, you know, kind of sink or swim the team just because like, once again, when you get to the playoffs, like he's proven he can perform in the playoffs. Consistency is the next thing for him, for sure. Working on the weaknesses of his game, which he seems to do a lot because he's just like a really hard worker and a great dude and just like all around awesome. But last thing here before we wrap up. So the thing I've been thinking about a lot and a lot of Sixers fans have been thinking about is like, let's just hypothetically say they don't make another move. They don't trade for Eric Gordon. They don't get back like one of the guys that we all want, like, Harrison Barnes or Reggie Bullock or whoever might possibly be acquirable. Who is going to start at the three for this team next year? Because <laughs> I'm like, I, we've seen Tobias at the three go pretty poorly before we've seen it, especially when he's going up against starting threes, you know, PJ Tucker, I would imagine that he would mostly play the four and the five at, at when he's here and then, you know, we want to see the three-guard lineup, but we won't. We don't want to start with Melton at the three. So is House the starter at three, you think? And then Tucker comes off the bench? Or what do you think is going to happen? Because it's I definitely going to be something they have to figure out. I think it's more likely that we see Tucker. I mean, that you gave the guy $11 million, right? I think that's True. probably that starter's money, I think. I don't know if it, it's... Yeah, it's a, yeah, close. I always like I always just go by the bath. I look at the basketball reference thing, and it's like if you're top 150 or with, within that range. But I think it's probably sure. right at the tail end. Um, I think he would start. I think the the thing that w with Tobias is it felt like at least the year in you know when they had Al was like Al was so slow in in that that year and just like not who he's been you know it, you know since since leaving uh, of Philly, course. but or before arriving to Philly, but um, like PJ I think is is better equipped to like maybe let Tobias still like inhibit a, or in, inhabit, excuse me, a, um, like a, a four adjacent role on both ends, I think. Um, so I, I, I would probably start PJ. And so I think maybe the, the concerns about Tobias at the three could be alleviated by PJ being able to be the, with a little bit more of the mobile guy defensively and, and do his in, cause offensively I didn't feel like the issues with Tobias at the three were there. I thought it was just defense and him having to sure. play the, be on the perimeter more and whatnot. So I think PJ can kind of handle that a little bit. And that's where I go. I, I I think I think what you want to do too is like among I would say PJ House and Melton, you kind of want to platoon them a little bit. Like I don't think you want any of them to be playing 34 minutes a night, right? PJ right. and House maybe because of their age and in their history, Melton just I don't think he's quite good enough to do that. So I think that would be the goal, right? Do like kind of what they did last year was where they platooned that fifth starter spot. Ideally, you have a guy that you can play for 34 minutes a night and, and 40 in the playoffs, but I just don't think they have that. But they have three quality bench players, and, and Melton, who I think could start on some teams, but maybe just doesn't doesn't make sense in the context of the Sixers as a three, right? Like on a, if they didn't have Maxi per se, you would probably start Melton the two and feel pretty fine right. about it. 
Um, so that's what I would do is kind of platoon it and try and mix and match based on who's playing well and who, you know, who the, who the opponent is. So, um, you know, you got to get 48 minutes out of the three of them or out, out of the three position. Right. So you probably want to play them. What a combined, I don't know, 68 minutes a night, maybe just t- toss it out there. And so, you know, having them fill, fill the combined for 48 of those minutes at the three makes the most sense. But I think PJ will play that role and he'll be able to guard a lot of the threes and, um, and whatnot. That'll, that'll make Tobias's life easier defensively. Yeah. And Doc can start a 37 year old. So it's a win win, really. Like, I mean, like I talked about like Maury building a team to be more versatile and maybe forcing Doc's hand, but Doc's like, look, you got me a 37 year old. I'm happy. That's all. <laughs> that's all I need. I just need one guy that's in his mid to late 30s that I can play. And hey, we got a good one. We got at least we got one who was a legit rotation player that we know can play in the playoffs, which has been the thing that we should be most focused on right now. So last final thing, do you have any thoughts on, have you looked into, uh, what is it? Trevlon, Trevlon Trevlon queen. Uh, I watched him a little bit when he was in Mexico state, when I was still doing serious draft work, I, I took back through my notes. I don't know much about him. Um, I know he won G league MVP. The Sixers are clearly cornering the market on, on G league MVPs. Um, yeah, they've, they've got three MVPs and none of them are Joel Embiid. Um, <laughs> sorry about that one. Um, but like I said, they have two right now, Harden, you know, Harden's a free agent. So, um, Oh, technically. Yeah. Oh, no, don't they, say they got, that. They got MVPs. Um, but yeah, I don't know much about him. I, I think it's like, it, from my understanding, it seemed like it was a non-guaranteed deal. Um, I think it's basically like effectively like a camp opportunity. Um, I think someone, I think Paul compared it to like Justin Anderson's deal a couple of years ago. Sure. Um, so but he's, getting paid, he's getting paid 350,000 guaranteed for this year. So that's a, I think, I think Anderson just had like a camp guarantee of like a few, yeah. like 10, 20,000 or whatever. Yeah. yeah that's yeah. I don't know. But yeah. I don't, I don't know much about him really. I, I think I like, liked him a little bit as like a second round guy or maybe a priority under sure. free target. But yeah, I can't say that I've watched any of him with the Rio Grande Valley Vipers. Um, so uh, I'm sure, like Dakota Schmidt is the is the G League guy. I'm sure he would be you know a ton yeah. of insight on that. Oh, I uh, looked it up. He likes him, so obviously he won the G League MVP. Of course, he likes him. But yeah, yeah. No, I'll have to talk to Dakota about that because I've actually been like, I once again, I he's probably just a 15th man if he even makes the roster. The fact that we signed him and gave him like that like partial guarantee it makes me think he's probably gonna be on the team next year generally speaking you don't pay a guy three hundred fifty thousand dollars and then cut him like that's like at least this year i would imagine which leads me to believe that there could be because now that i'm thinking about it they brought in they lost danny they lost um so they lost danny they lost uh deandre jordan paul Millsap three guys right those are the three yeah. that were on the team next year that won't be on the team uh this year and then they brought in house tucker melton and queen so maybe there is a two-for-one trade that they're <laughs> trying to or like multiple guys going out because look maybe they'll just pay him for 350 and be like all right well it was worth a shot and like he doesn't make the team or whatever and maybe they could try to bring him back on a two-way or whatever it is but like it does sound like this guy has legit. I well, he's fun on highlights. That's I. That's all I give a shit about. He's a he's a little bit of a hooper, a little bit of a dog. That's all I care about. And uh, we'll see if he makes the roster. Um, I always get excited when we sign guys that are like 24, 25, like that might have a little bit of upside or be like at least like a rotation player or whatever. If you're the G League MVP, I would imagine you at least have that kind of upside. But. Uh, I guess we'll see. We'll we'll know a little bit more this week. Hopefully, uh, I was checking my phone to see if we got a like a Shams bomb or a Woj bomb about Durant or Kyrie or anything. Still nothing. So hopefully, once that domino falls, we'll learn more about what the Sixers are going to do, and then we can kind of flesh out the rest of the offseason from there. So. Jackson, thanks for coming on. I really appreciate it. Always appreciate your time. You can follow Jackson in the description. Support all of his work as always. And uh, I'll talk to you soon, bud. Yeah, happy to to talk all the time. Appreciate it. Peace. Peace.